Welcome, everyone, to a brand new episode of Canon Calls. This week, I will be interviewing Dr. Gordon Wilson about his brand new book, A Different Shade of Green, A Biblical Approach to Environmentalism and the Dominion Mandate. His book is now available for pre-order at canonpress.com, so get it today and make sure to tell all your friends and family. Thanks again for listening to Canon Calls. It would mean a lot to us if you would make sure to subscribe and then rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. Welcome to another episode of Canon Calls. I'm your host, Jake McAtee, and this week we have Gordon Wilson in the booth with us. Hey, uh, nice to be here, Jake. Thanks for coming. Uh, it's the first week of school, right? Yes, first week of school at New St. Andrews. Okay, so first week of New St. Andrews, you have, did you have class today? I had class yesterday and the day before. Awesome. What classes are you teaching at New St. Andrews? Uh, this term, I'm teaching marine biology as an elective, and I'm teaching natural history, which is my required biology colloquium. Uh, okay. for the sophomores. Okay. And then you do like fun trips with the marine biology one, right? Yeah. I, for the electives, I do uh, field trips. Yeah. Okay. So um, in a couple weeks, we're heading off to San Juan Islands um, up northwest of Seattle and um, spend a couple days there and drive back. What, um, are, you, what are you doing there? We're... Um, we have a saltwater lab at the Friday Harbor Labs, and we collect in the intertidal zone, bring back specimens in buckets um, alive, and put them in saltwater basins. And it's running cold saltwater uh, in the lab. And so you can, at waist high, you can put all your critters in these basins and then fish them out, put them in a, a dish. They're still, they're alive and happy and put yeah. them under the microscope, look at them uh, in real, real close up. The students just uh, love it. They'll do descriptions, drawings, um, really honing their observational skills. That's awesome. Do you find that your electives are like always full? Yes. I cap it at 10 just because of oh, the, wow. van, the van size, but oh, yeah, right. it's usually, it's topped out and usually some people on the wait list. That's awesome. Waiting for somebody to drop and uh, and occupy. I imagine their vacated uh, spot. Yeah, with the with just the nature of New St. Andrews, uh, it's nice to have classes like yours where you can yeah. actually go and get out, get out and touch yeah, stuff. And I I get a lot of um, feedback from students that have taken. Many of the students are just like that was the high the high point at my NSA career. I mean, I've they heard, loved yeah. all their courses, but sure. uh, just getting out and seeing God's creation is something that they love. I've heard, I've heard much the same. Um, okay. So Gordon, you just wrote a book, A Different Shade of Green. Yep. I did. And it is, is on pre-order now. So this will be on Monday. We are, uh, it's the week before. Um, so it's still up. Uh, when will it actually? August 27th is its okay. release. Release. Okay. So yeah. Um, you're also in movies. Well, yeah. A nature documentary. Yeah. The Riot and the Dance. Yeah. Earth. That's part one. And then Riot and the Dance, um, Water was coming out. Is coming. 
Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any clue? Uh, I've, I, don't know. Uh, yeah. I've heard that they're shooting for this fall. Okay. But nice. I don't make any. Sure. I'm not in charge of that. So. So did you think? Did you think that it was going to be that you would just be the author, movie star, in your late forties? Well, you you mean late fifties? <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> of course, yeah. Um, no, um, you know, back quite a, I, I'm not sure exactly when I started writing my textbook, but, right. um, somewhere 2008, I'm guessing. Okay. Um, also titled the riot and the dance. The riot and the dance. I, um, just wanted to write a textbook that was just enjoyable. You know, I'm not, uh, presuming to be, uh, a great writer. I just I just wanted to write a textbook that had a personality behind it and not this insipid data dump. And so I wrote, uh, wrote that textbook just following my own pedagogical um, inclinations okay. of how would I want to be taught biology if I was in their shoes. And so I wrote, wrote the book that way. Is that something that you use? Um... Yeah, I use it. You know, I think it's... Uh, if you spread it out over a year, it's great for high school. Okay. And uh, I use it for my college as I've, over the years, seen college texts and high school texts, you know, the information is essentially the same, especially if it's a non-majors college. It's essentially the same as high school biology. It's just, I think, a matter of pace. Um, so um, I recommend it for high school as well um, for a whole year. And I do it in a semester. Okay. No, that was in 2008. Uh, well, that's when I started. It came okay. out, I think, 2014, 2015. I, okay. all, these, all these dates are sort of nebulous <laughs> in my head. And sure. even, even writing uh, this new book called A Different Shade of Green, um, I'm not sure exactly when I started, maybe three okay. years ago. Uh, I know that uh, Peter Escalante heard me speak on the topic in grad forum and... Um, He's after the talk, he came up and said, you need to write a book. And I said, okay. Nice. Um, and I, and that was, I don't know if that was his first or second years on faculty. So okay. I may try to pinpoint when he said that. Um, I was trying to think, I don't, I, I would have been in your grad forms from 2016 on. Okay. Um, so I think it probably was his first year, which was. Were the, you in that grad form? I don't think so. Where? We, I, we had you for a grad form, which was one of my favorite grad forms was on the box turtle. But that was the only one I had you for. So I want to say hmm. that it was probably 2015. 2015? Or late 2016. Or did you ever skip? I skipped, but I don't yeah. think I ever skipped yours. <laughs> I wouldn't okay. have skipped that one. All right. Man, I, I mean, I'm already there. I already have my diploma, so I, can, I feel like I can say I skipped. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, I'm not sure when I started writing it, but um, I had done a presentation on the same topic. Okay. Um, and, um, and then I just sort of expanded it and, uh, amplified it into a book. Awesome. Awesome. And your nephew wrote the foreword? Mm-hmm. Yes. And My he, nephew, N.D. Wilson. Yeah. He directed the first Ride right. in the Dance. Exactly. So yeah. how did the Ride in the Dance come about? Did he, is it something that you'd always wanted to do? Uh, was it a mix of you two? No, no. Uh, you know, I like to think of it as. I'm sort of a, a Bilbo Baggins in his hobbit hole. You know, I, I'm called to 
I'm called to teach um, college, uh, New St. Andrews, and um, I like doing what I do, but I would not say that I'm a, I'm not a, a shaker and mover, okay. if you know what I mean. Okay. Um, I like to do what I do, and I like to keep fine-tuning it. Um, uh, and then uh, uh, the short story is that um, uh, an investor um, asked, uh, because Nate had done a, um, a feature film, right. you know, River Thief, uh, he knew he was doing, getting, getting into that whole industry. And, um, he said, I'm sick and tired of nature documentaries that are, uh, just completely steeped in evolutionary, uh, in, in the ev evolutionary worldview. Right. And, um, I would like a documentary that is, um, Christian and creationist. Right. Um, so he said, would you, if I gave you some money, would you, or, uh, loan your invested yep. money, uh, would you do this? And, uh, Nate agreed. And, um, and then he lived right next door to me at the time and he popped over and said, seems convenient. Would you, uncle Gordon, would you be narr the narrator? And, and I said, sure, uh, I would love to. Um, so I, I think of, I think of Nate is Gandalf. <laughs> okay. Um, I was happily doing my thing in my hobbit hole and he, he came and, um. Rushed you out of it. Yeah. Whisked me out of it. So this is sort of my, my college, uh, teaching is sort of my day job and then uh, he whisked me off on these adventures. Um, by night. To, yeah, by day, <laughs> night, whatever. Yeah. And and to film this. And it really is something I wanted to do. I've always loved nature documentaries. And, um, of course, I would slog through all of the evolutionary worldview because the cinematography was just getting better and better and better. Right. The narration was constantly giving God, um, the, well, God is certainly totally factored out of the equation. Sure. Uh, it's all the result of time, chance, matter, energy, natural selection, mutation, and look at all of this amazing stuff. Um, and that, in spite of all of the beautiful cinematography, uh, that, that kind of narration is blasphemy. I mean, uh, and I don't think I'm misusing the word there. Right. Um, because it's, it's, when you're looking at God's masterpiece and calling, uh, essentially saying that it could happen unintelligently, that right, right, that that's that's bad. That's really bad. And so we we hope to keep the ball rolling so that uh, we can continue to make these types of docu documentaries. Uh, I know right in the dance too. That's sort of the the part two. Right. Um, of the first one, earth and water, but then hopefully we'll, we'll specialize and nice. get into different ecosystems or if different groups of animals, you know, totally. know, maybe insects or maybe, you know, birds or, or whatever. I don't know. Right. Um, you know, Attenborough has been doing it, uh, from his twenties, late twenties to now he's in his nineties and he's still doing it. Right. So I figure, well, if you, you can. You got plenty of time. Got plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
So you ended up doing your, uh, was it your doctoral thesis on the box turtle? Yeah, Eastern box turtle. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, um, yeah, that was another thing. Uh, you know, I had a young family at, and I was teaching at Liberty University and uh, I wanted to uh, pursue a PhD, but I just thought how in the world, you know, how, how could this happen? Um, and at the time, what were you teaching at Liberty? I was teaching a whole array of biology okay. courses over the years. I'm not all at once, but over the years I got to teach a lot of different biology courses. Awesome. And, um, and, uh, my wife knew that, uh, that he, I want to pursue a PhD, but she just thought it was, um, just not feasible. So she never prayed, but then she one day was convicted that, oh, I need to pray that Gordon would be able to get into a PhD. And she started praying. And then at about the same time, my friend, uh, you know, in our, our book group, he said, you, you, you've sort of, um, reached your ceiling of, uh, professional development. You need to get a PhD. So he started to push me. And then we had homecoming and a former student at Liberty came back at homecoming and I was catching up with him at this soiree and, uh, I said, uh, Tim, what are you doing? He said, I'm working on a PhD at George Mason University uh, under Carl Ernst, who's the Jedi master of turtles in the world. Love it. And I was like, wow. And at this time, I was starting to think I need to pursue. I was starting to tap on doors or look at different programs. And I said, would, I just off out of, the, out of the blue, I just said, would you recommend me to your professor? And he said, sure. So, uh, he went back up and recommended me to, uh, Ernst and, um, and then he called me back and said, uh, Dr. Ernst wants to talk to you on the phone. Um, so I got on the line with him and, um, I mean, a sep it was a separate call. He sure. wasn't right there. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, and he, uh, said, yeah, I'd love to interview you, come up to my office at 6.30 and a.m. And yeah. he, his office is like three hours and 15 minutes away. So I had to got, get up at three in the morning. And Whoa. Um, I was there at his office at 6.30 and uh, he started talking to me like I'm his student already. And so that's how I got into the program. And I just thought, wow. Um, and box turtles were my very favorite. Uh, it was one of the things that during my early years, five or six years old, uh, we had box turtles in the woods across the street um, in Annapolis. And so box turtles uh, loom large in my nostalgia and my real love of life. And so he said, what do you want to study? And I said, well, box turtles be great. And he pulled off his big tome off of his shelf that he wrote for Smithsonian Press called Turtles of the United States and Canada and flipped to box turtles. I thought it had been overstudied because it's a common turtle. And he said, no, we need a good reproductive uh, study done on the eastern box turtle. Uh, most of the stuff in my book is uh, anecdotal. And, and he said, go for it. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I get to work under the, you know, one of the top turtle biologists in the world. And he's, I get to study my favorite animal. Yeah. <laughs> and talk about a great PhD. Yeah. That was a lot of fun <clears throat> tracking radio tracking box turtle females and watching them lay eggs. And it was great. And you got to do all of that. Did you do much traveling for that? Or is, is no, it, it was just around? a study site in Lynchburg. So I only okay. had to drive 
10 minutes from my house and do my research. And I did have to drive up to George Mason for classes, but that wasn't, right. um, they catered to the professional student. So, nice. uh, only one day a week. Awesome. And then, so uh, you probably had, you've learned, um, I gave you more than you wanted there. But. No. Well, and then I got to sit in your, uh, grad form on the box turtle. So I've gotten the benefit of all of it. Um, but, uh, okay. So you were at Liberty and then what brought you to New St. Andrews? Um, you know, I was at Liberty. I loved it. Um, but I was beginning to get fidgety, uh, wanted to teach, um, I wanted to teach biology. My pedagogical, um, philosophy was changing. I wanted to teach biology, not just using one textbook, but I wanted to, uh, have, um, other texts that to, to, um, make the course a little bit more alive and more interesting. And uh, not that I couldn't have done it. I just wanted to reinvent how I taught biology. Sure. You know, take what I liked about conventional teaching and add what I wanted. And I felt like a nice new start would be great. And I, uh, at the, about the time NSA needed a science teacher. Also, my parents were getting older and older and they needed more and more help. So, um, and they I were finished, in Moscow. They were in Moscow. And, um, even though Liberty helped and assisted me in the pursuit of my PhD, you know, I talked to my superiors and Dean and, um, chair and, um, told them all the reasons why I wanted to go out to Moscow. Uh, even though I just had a fresh, freshly minted PhD. Yeah. Um, and they saw all my reasons and they just said, yeah, this is the right thing you should. And I was changing theologically too, okay. um, becoming, uh, reformed and not that you can't be reformed at Liberty, but, yeah. um, so pedagogical reasons, theological reasons, um, my parents were getting older. Um, and so all those things, and then they needed a science guy. And so all those things converged and, um, I came out to New St. Andrews in 2003. Okay. And that was the same year, that same spring, uh, I graduated with my PhD. Wow. My PhD was from 99 to 2003. Okay. I'm curious to know, you, uh, when you said you're becoming reformed, you know, what, what, what were some theological, um, like what were some of those theological transformations you were making? Well, at the time, Nate, uh, our lives are pretty intertwined. Uh, he came, <laughs> he, he yeah. came out to Liberty for a year. He okay. was, a, he was an, he was a one year grad school and he was single. And so he could come over to my house and be a fun, big older cousin yep. to my kids. And, uh, we had late night talks and, you know, I think for many people it's the sticking point is soteriology. Um, and so after uh, many good discussions with him late into the night. He, he pretty much he ran, pushed you ran, ran, well, yeah, he ran circles around <clears throat> okay. the, theologically. Okay. Um, he was always respectful, but, um, I eventually had to say uncle, even though he was my nephew. Right. And, um, <laughs> he's pretty winsome. Yeah, he's pretty winsome. Okay. So then you moved out 2003 and. But the, the theological change was 2000. Somewhere. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Nice. And then all of a sudden that, that Calvinism start getting into everything yeah. else spreading. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. So 2003 and, uh, 
then I've been here for 16 years. 16 years. Okay. Yeah. And always, it is, it is weird. I'm the old guy at New St. Andrews. I've always thought of myself, you know, coming to Liberty. Right. I was a 91. I was 30 years old. I felt, always felt like I was the, the young faculty member. Yeah. And you don't feel yourself necessarily. Well, I do feel myself get, <laughs> getting older, but now I'm looking around and going, I'm the old guy. Yeah. You know, in faculty meetings, you know. Love that. It's weird. Is it? It is weird. <laughs> is there advantages to this? I don't know. I'm sure there is. Um, probably. I feel like you have the, you probably have the only like animals in your office, which is cool. Well, not my office, my lab. But, your lab. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So that's an advantage. I feel like maybe. Yeah. Um, you know, as you went into the documentary stuff, is there anything that's been surprising things you didn't expect or things maybe I wouldn't expect to, uh, out of that experience, whether it's interacting with folks, like I would have never thought that people are getting this out of the documentary, but here they are. Oh boy. I think, uh, we got responses that were pretty anticipated. Okay. You know, a lot of people said, wow, that was just great. And it was, um, you know, the same reasons I would have expected them to say they, they, it was so great to hear that God was given the glory and the praise for right. the creation rather than evolution. Yeah. But it was, uh, but I think they also were very happy that it wasn't this, um, uh, rinky dink, um, hokey, yeah. uh, tacky, um, cheesy, right. uh, Christian thing. It, it was, um. And I, I don't take, I was narrating, but all of the art, you know, the, the, the good camera work, the good narration, yep. uh, except for my X-Temp stuff, which is the minority, um, most of the narration is voiceover, which was, okay. um, written, um, by Nate. Okay. And of course he's a best-selling author. Yeah. You can't really go wrong. Nope. Um, with, and he, and he he knows me well so he was trying to uh capture um a voice my voice yep uh as he wrote um and anything that i needed to sandpaper as far as oh i need to qualify that statement like i would make uh, little little changes if i needed to okay but it's you know it's not really high level biology and so a lot of the narration he could pull out from just sure. simple um research on uh, animals natural history you're you're also responsible uh maybe secondarily for the camera work yeah because uh one of the main uh well there was mostly two cameramen and uh, sometimes three um for right in the dance but my son dane wilson is uh one of the cameramen and he does most of the editing so he's all set up for that in his studio yeah. He does a great job. His dark cave. I am yeah. very, very proud of my son. Yeah. Dane's great. Um, Dane also set up this, this room before you came. So that's great. You know, Dane's, <laughs> he immediately looked up to the part of the ceiling that's falling, which was, <laughs> which was, that was good. Um, okay. So one of the things I think is interesting too, about your documentary is you guys are calling, there's a call to action. There's several calls to action that I can tell from Ryan the dance. One of which um, that I love and that I think you guys get a lot of traction out of um, and some pushback is the uh, basically your call that God loves these creatures 
God has created them, put time into them, loves mm-hmm. them, gave them life, and you ought to love them as well. Right. And it, you're on pretty shaky ground when you say, I hate that thing. Right. And <clears throat> I can see pushback saying you're on pretty shaky ground if you say, I love that, when right. much of it was cursed. I do answer those questions in my book. Um, okay. Okay, nice. But yeah, because God said at the end of creation week, uh, it was very good. Yep. That meant all of it. Now, of course, that was before the fall. Right. And some people, I think in sort of their ad hoc um, view of the world, they go, oh, uh, this animal that I hate must have been created after the fall. (laughs) It's like, come on. Yeah. Read your Bible. Right. Uh, It was created before the fall. Yes, it was bent. It was twisted in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And so uh, there's a lot of creation that's cursed. All creation groans. It was subjected to futility, it says in Romans. And so we know in in our taking dominion, we have to we have to know our charges. I mean, we are I mean, the dominion mandate is essentially uh global wildlife management. Uh I mean, it really is. I mean, we sometimes expand it and I think there are other expansive parts of it, but in its core the core command is the creatures that he made and that we are to rule over them. That's wildlife management. And we have to know our charges to do it well. And things get out of hand. Since we live in a cursed world, there's many species that uh, are uh, either parasites or predators. Uh, We have to be careful. Um, we have to manage things so the predators don't get too abundant or the prey, you know, um, there's parasites that can make our animals sick or us sick. Um, we have to deal with them as pests. But, you know, the, the end game is really redemption. You know, the, uh, if you read Isaiah 11, um, you know, the mountain of the Lord. Uh, there, no one, nothing will hurt or harm. Talked about lots of animals, both domestic type animals as well as wild animals. Nothing will hurt, harm in all my holy mountain. Um, and so we see that the eschaton will be a, a, a place where even the animals won't have adversarial relationships. Before the fall, all animals ate plants. From a biology perspective, that, that's hard to, to, to wrap your head around especially when you're just thinking there's so many predators, so many parasites. How can I even envision an ecology that has no death and destruction? Well, that's just a limitation on our imagination. Uh, We don't know exactly how it was before the fall, uh, but uh, after the the whole creation is redeemed, it's going to be even better. And we need to work towards that end and not just think, oh, I hate this. We need to, you know, blot it out of existence. Or inadvertently, uh, because of our bad dominion, our bad management, rub it out of existence. Right. Um, whether we're trying to kill it or, or trying to make it go extinct or accidentally making it go extinct, I think that's just, just bad dominion from the get-go. And this gets us like right into your book. So yeah, that's the that's a lot of the book. It's so that, a different yeah. shade of green, and um, 
uh, when I say a different shade of green, it obviously sets up an antithesis between right. uh, what we normally think of as green. Right. Um, all this uh, wild, um, as it says in the back of the book, unhinged environmentalism, where uh, you've got a lot of extreme en environmentalists um, that view humans as some sort of parasite that's just going to destroy the world. And I think we have a lot of capacity to destroy the world. So I acknowledge that we can do a lot of damage. But um, often Christians just really don't know how to navigate through this crazy, um, right. politically charged and polarized world. You've got the envir environmentalists, often very uh, left, very liberal. Um, their social agendas really, um, if you look at the whole thing, you go, ah, right. I really do like creation. I really like animals. I like plants. I, but I cannot hitch my wagon to their secular agenda because it's just going places I can't go. And yet, and then, and some people just hate that so much that they react and fall off the other side of the boat you know, the, the sort of the Billy Bob reactionary that says, you know, <laughs> yeah. if, if an enviro kook likes it, hate then it. I hate it. Or I, I almost vindictively want to do anything to annoy an environmentalist. And we, we can't either. And, and you've got Christians that react, say, oh, it's cool to be green. Yeah. And if it's cool to be green, I'm going to just, uh, without any discernment, Without any wisdom, I'm just going to drink their Kool-Aid, and they and they just fall under the whole environmental program. It's just ridiculous. And, but so what I'm trying to do is say, hey, let's not react for or against because if you drink their Kool-Aid, it's bad news, and if you react against it, you find yourself um, uh, being antagonistic towards the, your God's creation. Right. The environmentalists don't own it. <laughs> Okay, God created it. God said it was good. We have to figure out. We have not been leading. We've been abdicating. Good. And so that's, uh, so m my book is uh, three parts. Um, the first part is biblical reasons for wise dominion. Okay. And second part is practical reasons for wise dominion. You know, what, what have we found out in science? Why is it good to uh, ex to rule over the, the, the created world um, th through what we've learned from science and e ecology. What have we learned uh, lessons that actually really show that <laughs> the biblical reasons are, are good? Right. The science has also backed that up. And then the last part is just problems, just dealing with, uh, at, at the principal level, the big uh, problems that we face today in environment. I don't deal with everything. It's just too vast a field, but I try to hit the main uh, hot button issues and give a, a Christian uh, and informed response. Um, and ultimately, the, the solution, problems and solutions part, uh, I ultimately end with the, the gospel. Okay. But I don't want to be a spoiler here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so you'll see how I connect the dots. Awesome. Can I ask you, I, I'm curious you, cause you said you started with the biblical, then the practical, and then you move on to, you know, problems and solutions. Right. Yeah. So, um, 
what would you say to someone who said, you know, that's plainly unscientific if you're starting with the Bible? Uh, why wouldn't you start with scientific reasons and then move to, like, how does that work with the Bible? Well, I, I want to first um, start with the scriptures. This is uh, always start with the scriptures because we interpret. I mean, a lot of this science is empirical stuff. And um, there's nothing in the Bible that, um, you know, we first need to establish that we are rulers. Okay. A lot of Christians use the word stewardship. And that's, you know, I know what they mean. And I think uh, in, for all intents and purposes, it, there's a lot of similarity in what I'm trying to get across in the book, stewardship. But the Bible doesn't use the word stewardship. In the dominion mandate, Genesis 1.28, it's just dominion, which is rule, um, sovereign, kingly rule. Um, stewardship implies that we are, we are charged to take care of that which is not ours. And the language is much more, I mean, yeah, ultimately it's God. God. Uh, the language is much more like God signed the title over to us. Right. Delegated it's not, that it's, to you. It, it, it's like you. It's like your, your great rich uncle gives you a Ferrari, you know, um, and it's yours. I mean, he gave you the keys, gave you everything. Um, now you can roll it in the ditch. You can, you know, speed on the highway, get tickets. You, 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 but it's not like we're just borrowing the car. Right. Um, the creation and the analogy here is the car. Um, God gave it to us. We can, we can own it badly or we can own it wisely. Um, but stewardship sort of implies that it's sort of on loan. Okay. And we're right. taking care of it for our uncle. Um, rather than he's given it to us. Um, dominion is the word used, not stewardship. Although there's going to be a lot of similarities. Good stewards will do the same types of things as good dominion. No, it's it's really good. And I, I was talking to uh, I was talking to James about this earlier, that uh, one thing I'm really excited about your book is that we, uh, especially in these parts, do a lot to talk about the cultural mandate, the dominion mandate, and there's a lot of... Um, you know, your school at New St. Andrews, there's a lot of talk about just rebuilding the ruins of mm -hmm. like of all of this cultural mess. Um, and I just automatically assume I, I'm never thinking in terms of what your book's about. Right, right. And so part of that cultural, you know, we, we want to take over in a in a godly sort of way, whether right. it's municipalities and, you know, just have the gospel just. Uh, so we transform culture, but that means we, we transform every aspect of uh, right. human activity, which means um, we really need, as, as the gospel pervades and the yeast and the loaf thing, uh, it needs to transform. It gets outside too. It gets out to how we manage, you know, right now we can't just storm the Bastille and say, okay, Fish and Wildlife Service. We're in charge. We right. can't just, right. we can't just do a revolution. Right. We have to, uh, it's, it's, it's reformation. We have to have Christians start to occupy these positions, but as they occupy these positions, it's, it shouldn't be this mentality of, oh, we'll just always do it forever and ever the way they do it. Um, we need to shape it and culturally transform 
know, practices, take what's been good that's been given to the seculars by common grace, but also rethinking, you know, every aspect should be rethought, like private property rights. Um, really, it really boils down to love your neighbor, uh, love God and love your neighbor. And that uh, should apply to uh, how we treat the creation. Um, yeah, 100%. I think um, one thing that, uh, and the, about halfway through your book, one thing that I think is really helpful too, when I look out at the world, you see a lot of like alarm bell ringing in terms oh, yeah. of the climate. Alarmists. Yeah. And it's very, uh, anxiety is very high. Right. And generally the people who are in that camp are not emotionally, it's not emotionally healthy. And it almost seems like, um, getting to the point of what, what I'm excited about your book is like to contrast that, um, there was like the big, the big Jordan Peterson thing came out who, and his big thing was make your bed. He wanted to like charge you to take care of what's in your own room. You know, you can't mm -hmm. get any more like, you know, responsible than your own room. Yeah. And like a ton of people, a lot of men have found that to be actually a challenge and actually something they can achieve. And like looking at the two differences of when I look out at the alarmist and alarm bell culture, there's actually nothing that any one of them can do that morning that can alleviate any of the emotional anxiety and, and, and anything like that. It's, it's ultimately like the most unkind thing I can think of. Um, and, but what, from what I'm getting from your book is that, you know, faithful Christians doing what's in their own sphere. Exactly. Bringing these biblical principles uh, to work in that sphere um, is going to go a long way. Mm -hmm. And like you said, the reformational, yeah. with the reformational aspect. Yeah. And I realized when I was writing this book, I can't, uh, it's not a methods book, you know, how to do habitat restoration. You know, I give some right. ideas, but I'm not the expert. I'm a biology prof, you know, at a small Christian liberal arts classical college. Um, and there are so many people that have a, a, a huge skill set in a lot of uh, environmental type occupations that I don't have. But often they just they're they're a workaday scientists or workaday people that are just operating under the assumptions, their marching orders. They don't always think about how the Bible applies. And so I'm not saying I know how to do it. I'm thinking many of these people have a sphere. It might be small, like how to, you know, they may just own a cat or a dog or a pet snake. Right. And their sphere is very small in terms of creatures. Uh, some people have a bigger sphere. Um, and I just, and, and, and skills to match it. But I want every Christian that has some sort of impact on God's creation that's outside of humans, whether it's, uh, you know, gardening their own garden, their backyard, to an arboretum, to a botanical garden, um, mm -hmm. and on up to um, national parks and huge wilderness areas. Um, with the bigger sphere, bigger responsibility. But I want them to think biblically as they are executing their responsibilities. Yeah. And insofar as they can without being a revolutionary, and storming places, storming places um, <laughs> to be working in these biblical principles. And the gospel ultimately is the 
solution. I don't like the top-down command and control. It's all about legislation. Right. I want it to be grassroots, the gospel-motivated uh, transformation of culture at at all the different levels, whether it's uh, the arts, you know, or uh, environmental. Um, uh, I almost said stewardship. Uh, <laughs> Dominionship, yeah, if that's a word, kingship, uh, kingship, um, just have it pervade everything, and so there's not somebody nagging you to do this. It's it's motivated from a heart, um, uh, a change of heart. One thing that, um, as as uh, I'm one of the people on the the ride and the dance Facebook page, and one of the things I've been encouraged about is just the level of uh. Uh, after seeing the, the the documentary, is just how many families are now out and about in their own oh, yeah. wherever. Yeah. And it's been great to see just like, you know, I think there's a level at which I would have thought like, uh, it's out there though. I don't live in a place where I could just go do those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it seems, you know, that's just been to my ignorance. Outside is just out, right out the- Yeah, it's right out there. and yeah. And that's sort of what I want uh, that's why the right and the dance and the book go hand in hand because I'm wanting to get the younger generation Christians to just go ape, yeah, uh, and and be yard apes as they say. Just get out there with their buckets and and explore insects. Moms have to learn how to accommodate that, um, <laughs> especially if they've got their house beautiful right. uh, standards and uh, just learn how to let the kids really follow their instincts of, you know, we have to be careful. There's some, some poisonous things out there and you got to know them, but um, just to encourage that. Because once that is encouraged, then the kids will have just a, uh, the concrete hasn't dried with them, right. you know, right? and they will grow up loving the diversity that God has made and learning it. I mean, the kids can learn diversity amazingly well. Uh, with field guides, and sometimes uh, they can absorb it way faster than adults. It it does seem too to have a sort of um, it demands a sort of childlike patience as well. That I think, mm-hmm. like when I think of myself or you know adults in general, that they just don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, you you were saying that the concrete hasn't dried with them. How, like, how would you encourage parents to like keep? that sort of patience going. Yeah. Um, my mom wasn't really keen on snakes, but she, she didn't want to squ- <laughs> okay. squelch it. You okay. know, and she, you know, you got to follow house rules, you know, can't just go letting snakes go in your house and track yeah. and mud through. Cause you, you, kids need to honor their parents sure. in, in certain house rules. But what I would encourage parents to do if they're not uh, real keen on, being it just to encourage encourage that instinct i think a lot of kids they're not all going to become biologists but a lot of kids have that instinct to catch critters and frogs and snakes and bugs and um to foster that appreciation um and not just foster it by tolerating it but uh by if they're really into it getting them field guides regional field guides that are appropriate for um, that geography and geography. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, and, and some kids are more interested in, I mean, not too many, most kids are interested in animals, but, uh, if they're that 
rare individual that likes the plants more flower you know wildflower guides tree guides there's just all guides for everything and that that allows them to dig dip deeper that the parents don't have to be teaching them sure kids just you right. know i've had some kids come to me they're visiting town because their older brother or sister is going to nsa and they're they're telling me all the things they're catching <laughs> in louisiana i'm like oh yeah. i wish i was in louisiana right um uh you know going ditching with them ditching is you know going to these canals that are out behind backyards where there's lots of bayous down there and catching critters and they call it ditching have you been there have you no i haven't gone ditching i'd love to go I ditching. Haven't gone ditching i haven't gone ditching i'd love yeah. to go ditching with a bunch of young kids in louisiana okay so if we have any louisiana people that are eager to fly out Dr. Gordon Wilson, he is open to it. You bet. Um, I think that's I think that's really big, and I think uh, just the assumption, assuming the center on Dominion, that God's mm-hmm. given us this place. Now, like, go have a good time with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, thinking for myself growing up, that was just not a thing, right? And well, it was sometimes hard to find habitat in Fort Fort Worth. That's right. Well, you know, it's so funny. Oh, no, where were you? You were in Fort well, it was, Worth. It was north of Fort Worth. But, you know, it's funny, as I was going to bring up, when we went to Fort Worth, we were driving around some parking lot, and you said, you know, what is, so what is the general habitat of this place? You know, what kind of wild animals are around? And I was, I just, <laughs> I was just well, like, I man, mean, the mosquitoes here are, uh, you know, a bummer. Um, let me think yeah, about yeah. it. Uh, and I know there's rattlesnakes out when yeah, you go out in the toolies. Right. Right. Um, but I, I think I just told you the Fort Worth Zoo is insane. You know, you should you should go. But other than that, I have no clue. I don't I, know. I, what's, and I was just like, man, I, but I should. You know, I, there's no reason I shouldn't. But yeah, I remember that. And it's, you know, it's just something that I would be eager to pass on in terms of something I just never got. So mm-hmm. I'm right. having to catch up in ways, right. um, you know. Right. In fact, and then I think I changed the subject to the, to the idea that... Uh, Oh man, what was the college that we started talking about that has the horn? Fro- oh, TCU, Texas Christian University, the Horn Frogs. Okay, and you the said, horn, are they the Horn Toads? It's the Horn Frogs. Horn Frogs. You asked. I think you asked that in the yeah, car. And when I even their common name is Horn Toads, and they're not toads; they're lizards. But you know, right? The uh, common name is often Horn Horny Toads. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, and you 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 did say at the end of it that excites me. They're now my favorite college team. <laughs> so I hope you're keeping up. Well, this year. no, I you know? <laughs> actually I totally forgot I said that. I, it bugs me that they're called horn frogs. Though. Does it bug you? It should be horn toads. Well, I mean, <clears throat> both are uh, frogs, and but normally I hear the word. May, maybe certain sectors of the country call them horn frogs, but um, they're scientific name. They are lizards, but they do have squatty bodies. Okay. that have sort of a toad-like appearance. So their scientific name is uh, toad body. Oh, wow. I mean, that uh, in Latin or sure. Greek, I forget, sure. it's the Latin or Greek parts. It's rhinosoma, um, and that means toad body. But uh, I'll forgive them for calling okay. them horn frogs. Are you sure they're called horn frogs? Um, yeah. Okay. Let's go frogs. Yeah, that's it. Sorry, yeah. I'm just totally out of the No, I, co- I thought that we did this. Oh. And then you were excited the fact about the fact that it was like a particular horned frog and not another one. Anyway. Okay. Neither of us really remember the conversation yeah. that way. Do they have them on the their football yep. helmets? Yeah. The, the actual yeah. lizard? I think cool. so. Yeah. Cool. Um, cool. 
So maybe when you're down there, you can get me a. a I'll get you a shirt. A, a, no, or a, a helmet. No, a shirt. Probably. Yeah. Okay. The helmets are probably pretty spendy. <laughs> or the jerseys. I can see what I can do. Do you know? Yeah, but the jerseys would they have the? the they should. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Gordon cool. Wilson, thank you so much for coming by. Thank you, Jake. Go Good get his book. Here. Pre-order a different shade of green, and it releases August twenty seventh. Thanks so much. Thank you.